Hello and welcome to edition number 1878 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 26th of August in the Methodist Church, but still with only two readers instead of our usual four. I am Debbie Diacon and I edited this edition. Our two regular readers this week are Byron Russell and Barbara Barringer, but we have a new reader who will also read a couple of articles called Jill Breakspear with us, so welcome to Jill. Our recording engineer this week is Graham Diacon. As is usual, we have items taken mainly from the Whitney Gazette and also this week from the Chipping Norton News. Our first story is the Whitney Gazette's headline story about the heartbroken mother of a young girl who sadly drowned in Ducklington Lake last month, bidding to get the lake dredged or closed off. And it will be read by Byron. And the headline is, Grieving Mum Bids to Get Lake Closed Off. A heartbroken mum is calling for a lake to be dredged and filled after her daughter died there last month. Nicole Sanders, 13, died in hospital on July the 18th after she was pulled from Ducklington Lake in Whitney. Now her mother, Amanda Holmes, said the lake is extremely deep and deadly and has created a petition for the lake to be shut off to the public. The online petition, created on charge.org, calling for no more lives lost to Ducklington Lake, has so far received over 500 signatures. Whitney Town Council, which is responsible for the lake, said it was aware of the petition and has invited the family to meet with key councillors and officers. Ms Holmes said her daughter was standing in a lake with her sister and friends no more than waist deep, when the bed broke away and she fell into the water. Emergency services searched for 25 minutes to find Nicole until they found her around 30 feet deep, but it was too late to save her life, her mother said. Nicole was taken to John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford but could not be saved. Miss Holmes paid tribute to her beautiful, talented and caring daughter and hopes the lake will be closed off to the public to stop other children from losing their precious lives. The lake is a flooded gravel pit that was dug initially to extract material for the A40 Whitney bypass in the mid-1980s. Writing on the petition site, Ms Holmes added, For years, families have visited the lake and taken children into the water in an area that they perceive as safe. The danger is that this could happen to anyone and at any point. The mother added that by getting the lake filled, her beautiful baby girl's death would not be in vain. Whitney Town Council said, We completely understand the desire to do something tangible to prevent any further loss of life, and indeed this is our priority too. Given the number of similar flooded pits, rivers and other accessible areas of open water, and the hidden dangers that all of them pose, It feels that the most meaningful course of action is for us to work with the rescue services and schools to roll out an education programme. Hopefully, this will ensure that as many people as possible are aware of the dangers, even to experienced and confident swimmers, and choose safe swimming and water play options instead. The Council is also looking to create a Lido in Whitney to provide a safe outdoor swimming space for the town. Next, it is Barbara with an article about how going for a run can help a food bank charity. Yes, Get Running and Help Out anti-poverty charity. 
fundraisers are being asked to lace up their running shoes to support anti-poverty charity Trussell Trust by taking part in the race against hunger. Entrants can not only choose their distance, but plan their own route and take on the event at a time that works for them. Events Engagement Manager at the Trussell Trust, Kate Merrifield, said, Joining Race Against Hunger is a great challenge for everyone, whatever your fitness level, age, background or ability. You can run, jog, walk or do it in fancy dress, while raising vital funds to help stamp out hunger in the UK. It's more than just a run, it's a movement for change. It's not right that any of us need to use a food bank. That's why we're urging everyone in Oxford to put their best foot forward and join Team Trussell. People taking part will be receiving training guides and support, a T-shirt, back sign and a ribbon to wear on the day, apart from supporting a good cause. Currently, the Trussell Trust supports a network of more than 1,300 food bank centres nationally to provide emergency food and support to people locked in poverty, with seven of those in Oxfordshire. Compared with this time five years ago, need for food banks has increased by 128% and it is likely to increase further. According to the charity's latest research, A million people across the UK have said they are very likely to need to use a food bank when universal credit is cut this October. Jane Benyon, a representative of the Community Emergency Food Bank in Oxford, said referrals to the food bank have remained high since the start of the pandemic, although August has been a bit quieter than previous months. We will need to wait and see the effect of the decrease in universal credit in October, but we envisage this will affect many people on benefits. In Oxfordshire, food banks within the Trussell Trust network gave out 16,371 emergency parcels to people facing crisis between April 2020 and March 2021. And the next headline is £20,000 boost to improve bus services in Whitney. Oxfordshire County Council has spent £20,000 through its Bus Journey Time Reliability Programme to make bus stops safer for those with disabilities. The aim is that users will find it safer and easier to use services after concerns from bus operator Stagecoach about some passengers having difficulties getting on and off safely. The council has created build-outs at the bus stops in Acre Street in Ainsham and Corn Street and Newland in Whitney, following extensive local consultation, with the Ainsham scheme set for review in 2022. Delays at these three locations were affecting the reliability of bus services, so these improvements will help improve journey times by speeding up boarding and alighting. It forms part of the Council's ongoing commitment to support local bus services and its response to the Government's national bus strategy. Councillor Tim Bearder, the County Council's Cabinet Member for Highways Management, said... 
Making improvements to the public transport system helps reduce our reliance on car journeys, and work like this will make it easier for people to use the bus and thereby cut carbon emissions. He added, We will continue our efforts to support bus travel through delivering accessibility improvements across the county where they are needed. The improvements also help the needs of other disabled groups, such as blind or cognitive impaired bus passengers, as well as those carrying heavy luggage and pushchairs. Report missing bin collection. West Oxfordshire residents are being reminded that they can report a missed bin collection online. WODC tweeted, If our collection crews miss a collection, we're sorry if it ever happens to you. Our teams work really hard, making over 191,000 collections weekly, and issues can occur resulting in missed rounds. If your bin or recycling has not been collected, you can report this to us on the day of collection, and within two days of the scheduled collection day. The council asks that before reporting a missed bin, you make sure that you had put the bin out by 6am, and there was no extra waste lying by the side. They also require recycling to be in the correct bin or box, and any garden waste bins must have a valid licence. Finally, the bin lids needed to be closed. They say they aim to return to collect the bins within two working days of the report, so the bin should be left out. And the next headline is Councillor leaves Tories to join Lib Dems. A member of Carterton Town Council who resigned has switched from the Conservatives to the Lib Dems. Elaine Hatton, who became a town councillor in 2018 and was re-elected in 2019, quit because she was not achieving what I want to. She explained on her Facebook page, My most enjoyable and memorable time was spent with the local schools. The activities I was heavily involved with ranged from making poppies, Christmas lanterns, Easter kits and fundraising. She said... My life philosophy for being a town councillor was working for the community. My attitude is to give back to people what they give to us. Miss Hatton said she would remain a trustee and fundraiser for the Carterton Educational Trust and trustee for the Carterton Community Centre. If selected, she will now stand as Liberal Democrat in West Oxfordshire District Council elections next year. Of the Conservatives, she said... I found that my priorities were not the same as theirs, therefore I resigned. I needed to be within a party who had the same convictions as myself. People first, politics second. That's why I joined the Liberal Democrats. Ultimately, my aim within the community is to make provisions for families embedding local children within the community. Councillor Andy Graham, leader of the Limdeb Group on WODC, said it was the beginning of the end of the Blue Wall in West Oxfordshire. Now a nice story about a local Whitney girl launching a successful business. Delayed reveal as X Factor singer's lingerie launched. A former X Factor contestant has celebrated the first year of her lingerie business by holding an official launch. As the coronavirus pandemic interfered with a standard launch, 
Chelsea Griffin waited for restrictions to ease so she could celebrate her business, La Dama Lingerie, properly. The event was held at the Old Street Gallery in London with 15 models wearing the latest pieces designed by Miss Griffin. Miss Griffin, 26 from Whitney, revealed how the official launch went and how her business has grown in the last 12 months. She said it was it went incredibly It was a dream and I enjoyed it so much. We had a runway show and speakers. It went better than I expected. It was fun designing the latest pieces, but also quite stressful too. It was worth all the work that went into it. It also opened a lot of doors for me by meeting all sorts of people. We've really grown in the last year. We're now an ASOS marketplace and we've done London Fashion Week. That was really big for us and the brand. We've expanded and got business internationally in America and Europe. I was doing more modelling for the brand at the beginning, but I'm focused more on the business now. This year marks the 10th anniversary of Ms Griffin's appearance on The X Factor as a 16-year-old. In the same year, Little Mix won the competition. Ms Griffin took part and made the boot camp part of the show. Ms Griffin, who has previously worked as a model for specialist lingerie retailer Anne Summers, highlighted how taking part in London Fashion Week had summarised what a whirlwind year it had been for her business. She said, I was looking for tickets for the show and instead they offered me the chance to showcase my brand and collection. I met models and it was a great chance to network. She also revealed that she has been invited to Milan Fashion Week after her London showcase. And there's a picture of her smiling, so that's lovely. And now two short stories. Home sales feel Clarkson effect. Searches for homes to buy in Chadlington have jumped by 511%, according to property website Rightmove. The village recorded a bigger surge in interest than anywhere else in Britain in June 2021 when compared to the period in 2020. Nearby Chipping Norton also recorded a 64% increase in sales searches, following increasing interest from home movers looking to relocate to countryside towns and villages. Rightmove said viewers had been captivated by the local countryside and looked at homes for sale in and around the area, where Clarkson's Farm is filmed. The Amazon Prime series charts Clarkson's antics as he gets to grips with becoming a farmer. And the next is Daylong Family Festival. A Daylong Festival in Oxfordshire will return for a third year after it could not take place due to COVID-19 restrictions in 2020. Families are invited to attend the Carterton Carnival on Saturday, August the 28th, at the recreation ground off Arkle Gardens. Organisers have promised a day of fun with many stalls, attractions and a children's fun fair. There'll also be a wide range of food and drink available, but visitors are encouraged to bring a picnic. The day festivities will be followed by an evening of live music organised by local James Morgan. Watchdog says care home residents at risk of abuse. Care home residents were left at risk after management failed to investigate an abuse claim a watchdog has found. 
Residents at Tall Trees Care Centre in Chipton under Witchwood were at risk of potential further abuse, the Care Quality Commission reported. Inspectors said staff told us and records confirmed that an abuser was allowed to work in spite of the incident having been reported by a whistleblower. The CQC said the inspection in May was partly prompted by concerns received about management of an abuse incident. Staff told us and records confirmed that the alleged abuser continued to work the remainder of their shift despite the incident being reported. The alleged abuser worked on a further two occasions following the allegation being reported. Management were aware of these allegations. This put people at risk of potential further abuse without management taking appropriate action to safely investigate the allegations. The report said responsibilities were not clear, such as what actions management should take on being made aware of allegations of abuse. For example, when to instigate immediate suspension. The home was given an overall rating of inadequate and issued a warning notice. A spokesperson for Oxfordshire County Council said the County Council shares the CQC's concerns about this care home in Chipping Norton and will be working closely with the Commission and the home to ensure that the improvements that are required are acknowledged and tackled with urgency. Both the County Council and the CQC will be monitoring the home at very regular intervals. The Council has been supporting the home to improve within its standards of care framework and will continue to work with CQC and health colleagues to ensure that the necessary improvements are made. Inspectors found no evidence that the 29 residents had been harmed. A spokesperson for Provider Caring Homes Healthcare Group said the health and well-being of our residents is our absolute priority. We are immensely disappointed by this report, which we do not believe provides a fair reflection of the care being provided at tall trees. Nevertheless, we would like to apologise to our relatives and residents for any concern or distress the report may have caused. We have raised our concerns with the CQC as there are many aspects of the report which we believe are factually inaccurate. We do not tolerate abuse and as soon as we were made aware of the allegation, we suspended the individual and terminated their employment after an investigation. We put in place a detailed action plan in May to ensure we address the areas where improvements were needed. And now we have three articles from the Chipping Norton News. The first, QD store arrives in Chippy. Following the departure of Beals from Chipping Norton's High Street in spring 2020, apart from some enjoyable local artwork by Luke Emden in the windows, there has been no trading inside the forlorn and empty large store. This is about to change with QD, quality discount stores, currently undertaking a full refit to transform the 8,500-square-foot sales area and planning an opening this summer. This, the 48th store in the QD Group, 
will bring to Chippy their offering of home, gardening, pet accessories, furniture, food and more, all at discounted prices. QD stores say they are actively recruiting 16 full and part-time sales assistants, supervisors and managers from the local area, and are welcoming applications from all ages. Nick Rubens, CEO of the QD Group, said, QD has been an independent, family-run business for over 30 years, and we look forward to continuing this ethos in our new Chipping Norton store. We pride ourselves on excellent quality products at amazing prices and ever-changing spectacular deals. We can't wait to open our doors in Chipping Norton and show this to QD customers, all with value guaranteed. The original concept of QD Store's quality discounted retailing was first established back in 1985 by Nick Rubin's father, the current chairman, Danny Rubin's. The aim was to offer customers a wide range of constantly changing quality products at discounted prices, which led to the store's name QD, short for Quality Discounts. QD's pledge to chippy shoppers is to provide this unbeatable value and extensive choice achieved via special low-price promotions, fast-moving stock and meticulous daily price checks to remain competitive. Still in Chipper Norton, a heartwarming article about local food bank heroes. Chipper Norton's community has always stepped up to help those who are vulnerable, isolated or in hardship through family or financial difficulties. While the pandemic has underlined this, there are many people who have, for years, quietly persevered with community service of all kinds. One such example is the team at the North Oxfordshire Community Food Bank, NOCF, and the news talked to one of those food bank heroes. Martin Rizzi works with a food bank which relocated from Chipper Norton Town Hall to the refurbished Baptist Church in New Street in 2016. Together with his wife Stephanie, the food bank coordinator, they have seen a growth in people coming forward for parcels of food and other items since the COVID-19 outbreak. Jack of all trades, master of none, says Martin laughing. Although with his building background, he was himself part of the team behind the Baptist Church's redevelopment and now sees it as his trade when not carrying out charity work. In fact, his mother is Pastor Joyce Rice, who is also chair of NOCF, based in Kidlington. The organisation has been going for 11 years. Not only do people come for tangible donations to take away, many come for prayer and support. Pastoral care is a large part of what is on offer, and you don't have to have faith to be listened to and share your problems. Donations come from many quarters, the local community, companies who have surplus stock, the chippy larder and, of course, the co-op collection bins. Martin can hardly express the gratitude he feels for the generosity of every donation. The Baptist Church is open for accepting donations Monday and Friday, 9am till noon, and Wednesday, 10am till 1230 For collection of food parcels, it's Monday, 10 to 11.30. 
As for the future, Martin says he can see nothing changing. The food bank will continue for as long as it is needed. And now the final story from Chippy, and this one has a musical theme. The headline is Piano Preludes in Co-op Arcade. Shoppers in Chipping Norton's High Street, wandering through the Withers Court Arcade to the co-op and the QD store, could soon be serenaded, or rocked off their feet, with piano recitals. The temptation to stop for a cuppa and cake at Nash's Cafe could increase if the proposal by Chipping Norton Town Council to provide a public piano there goes ahead. And tea drinkers like the music. Mayor Georgia Mazawa explained the project to the Town Council Strategic Planning Committee in June and a budget of £600 was agreed to set it all up, including with a piano donated, hopefully free, tuned and painted. Landlords Mid-Counties Co-op have agreed a six-month pilot. The piano, with a Play Me, I'm Yours sign, will be for community use. Ideas such as starting a piano family of local players and some kind of booking scheme will be considered, as well as possible CCTV to keep an eye on it. Walk-in jab clinic for teenagers opened this week. Anyone aged 16 or 17 can receive a dose of the COVID-19 Pfizer vaccine without appointment or parental consent in Whitney. Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust, in partnership with West Oxfordshire District Council, has set up this vaccination clinic in Whitney Town Shop 3 Welshway, Whitney, OX28 6JH. Tamin Ajmal, COVID Operations Director at Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust, said, I would urge young people aged 16 and 17 to attend the walk-in clinic in Whitney to keep themselves and their families safe. Leader of West Oxfordshire District Council, Michelle Mead, added the walk-in clinics have proved very successful in West Oxfordshire. We're pleased to offer council premises and to work closely with our health colleagues to set these up quickly to react to the needs of our community. Ultimately, attending this walk-in centre will make West Oxfordshire safer for us all. The current Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation guidelines indicate that no second dose for healthy 16 and 17-year-olds is required. The walk-in clinic opened on Monday from 10am to 7.30pm. Visitors are requested to carry proof of age. And then it says, our recording engineer, Graham Diacon, was in Whitney on Monday afternoon and saw this long queue snaking all round the Nat West Bank. He thought there had been a run on the bank until he asked a steward what was going on and it was a queue for the jabs. And I must say, I went down to Whitney and the queue went as far as the co-op, which is at least three times as long, which is brilliant. So Byron, Barbara and Jill will be back with more stories soon, but now it is the editor's choice. This week I have written something about theatre which is dear to my heart and how it is recovering after the lockdown. Some of you may know that I trained for the theatre when I left school and after a few years of being in and out of work I realised I wasn't going to be the next Sarah Bernhardt so went to Secretarial College. However, 
Theatre remains my passion and I have been heavily involved in amateur dramatics all my life when my home, children and work permitted. I have been so saddened at the very hard time that all forms of live entertainment have been having during the past 18 months since lockdown, whether that be live music of classical, jazz or pop or opera, theatre or circus. So many of the actors and artists, technical people, designers, makeup and costume people, musicians and front of house personnel did not qualify for furlough and are for the most part self-employed, which left them in a parlous state that no one could have predicted would go on for so long. What joy then as theatres and concert halls started to open up again and planned shows actually opened in theatres in London and around the country. Goodness knows how they have rehearsed these shows with only six people allowed in the rehearsal room at a time until very recently, but rehearsed them they did and up to a polished professional standard of production. One show I was so keen to book for was the opportunity to see Sir Ian McKellen play Shakespeare's Hamlet at Windsor Playhouse. This is a part that he, at age 82, is fully 50 years older than the character he is playing, and this has never been attempted before. Whatever your views on Shakespeare, you must surely admit that it would be of interest to see how this national treasure of an actor would step up to this challenge. Could he learn and remember all the lines? Could he have enough physical energy to move around the stage like a 30-year-old in what is a long play? So in early July, husband Graham and I set off for Windsor, had a bite to eat at a lovely riverside pub in Richmond and went in to attend the evening performance with lots of Covid-safe precautions in place. Many entrances were used and separate times for us to enter. We were asked to keep our masks on at all times and they had not sold all the seats. The set was on view as no curtain was used and it had a huge metal gantry raised platform above the bare stage which went round the two sides and rear of the stage. There was a set of steps leading up to it at the rear and to one side I noticed a vertical metal ladder up to the upper level. The show began and the impressive cast, which contained some other very well-known actors, started to speak Shakespeare's wonderful language, which I know some people find very hard, including my tolerant husband. Sir Ian came on and his lovely voice transported me. I was stunned at his vitality, energetic movement, delivery of so many lines and command of the stage. And yes, he did at one stage climb straight up that vertical ladder to the upper level. How about that for 82? I assume to achieve this level of fitness, he must have been on a very rigorous personal training programme for at least a year or more. A standing ovation at the end of the show came as no surprise to me. I described it to my friend as world-class theatre and was so thrilled to have had that experience. I earlier described Sir Ian as a national treasure, and here's one example of why. Two years ago, to celebrate his 80th birthday, Sir Ian decided that for the next year or so, he would go all round the country to owe payment for the funds for that theatre. What a generous thing to do. We were lucky enough to see this show at Stratford-upon-Avon in the Royal Shakespeare Theatre. 
Sir Ian was funny, relaxed, chatting to the audience about his career, including filming Lord of the Rings in New Zealand. And these films made him a cult figure with much younger audiences. He also had on stage a copy of every one of Shakespeare's plays and asked the audience to call out which one they wanted to hear him read from. He made a joke that, of course, the audience in Stratford, Shakespeare's hometown, were bound to give him a hard time and choose something difficult. But he did several extracts, some of which he knew by heart. To my mind, Sir Ian is a shining example of someone who has been lucky enough to spend his life doing something he loves, but he has done it with great physical and mental dedication, kindness, humour and generosity, which sets him apart from many. Next is our weekly quiz, and here are the answers to last week's questions. Number one. The football in the river match held every August Bank holiday Monday takes place in which Cotswold village? The answer is Borton on the Water. Number two. What is the name of the cat, a champion mouser, who recently retired from the Foreign Office? And the answer is Palmerston, named after two-time Prime Minister Lord Palmerston. Question three. Kamala Harris, Joe Biden's vice president, represents which state in the U.S. Senate? California. Question four. Who is known as the patron saint of lost causes? Answer. Anyone? Saint Jude. Saint Jude, yes. Question five. Which star has been nominated for a record 21 Oscars more than any other actor or actress? And the answer is Meryl Streep. So now to this week's questions. And I've chosen the theme of summer. So question one. The summer lasts from June to September in the Northern Hemisphere. When is the summertime in the Southern Hemisphere? Question two. The phrase, the dog days of summer, is named after the dog star. What is the official name of this star? Question three. Which British rock band had a debut single called In the Summertime? Question four. Which ingredient can be used as a filling for a summer pudding? And question five. The summer exhibition is held annually in which art gallery in London? And now to our notice board. Firstly, it gives me great pleasure to welcome a new listener, and she is Mrs. Martha Paul of Whitney. Also, this week, we'd like to wish a very happy birthday to Ms. Maggie Cole <clears throat> in Ensham, whose birthday it was this week. The following deaths were announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. Philip John Buckingham, formerly of Carterton, on the 31st of July. Susan Partridge, formerly of Cassington, aged 89, on the 3rd of August. Margaret Florence Pearson, 
of Charlbury, just six days short of her 95th birthday on the 7th of August. Joyce Wixon on the 14th of August and William Hilton Matthews, known as Bill, of Bampton, aged 93, on the 19th of August. Our condolences to family and friends. Now Byron has the sport, and then we'll finish with another round of articles from the news pages. Thanks, Debbie. And so the headline is Learning Curve. Matty Taylor feels Oxford United's defeat at Bolton Wanderers at the weekend will serve them well going forward. <clears throat> the number nine opened his account for 2021-22 after 11 minutes, but goals from Depo Afalayan and Ian Doyle, either side of half-time, condemned the U's to their first defeat of the season. It had been a difficult build-up for United, with a member of their fitness staff testing positive for COVID on Friday and injuries to key players forcing a change of formation to a 4-4-2 diamond. The U's adapted well to an unfamiliar system and should have added to Taylor's goal, but the striker preferred to look on the bright side following a thrilling game. It was a pleasure to play in. I thought we linked really well, the 31-year-old said. We didn't have long to work on it. We mainly did it by video and a little bit on the training ground. We've got countless injuries and that's the way we felt we could win the game. And we probably should have. We're kicking ourselves, but we didn't play anywhere near as well as that on Tuesday night against Crew Alexandra and won the game. If we play like that more, we'll get a lot more points on the board. But the forward partnered Sam Winnell up front at the University of Bolton Stadium with Gavin White playing just behind. Winnell assisted Taylor's goal with a pass in behind the defence and the scorer revealed it was easy to establish a relationship. United switched to a back three during their previous two Skybet League One games with injuries already forcing the squad to be flexible. For all its attacking intent, the latest change in formation allowed space for Bolton to attack down the flanks, but Robinson saw it as a useful learning curve. The U's head coach said, We leave a better team. I now know we can play five at the back and we can play a diamond. Robinson added, It has put so many things in my head that I really want to work on it and I'm really looking forward to it. Slightly misleading headline now, as you'll hear as the article progresses, and the headline is Cotswolds to become a national park. The Cotswolds and the Chilterns are to be made national parks to increase protected areas in England, according to reports. The Daily Telegraph says it understands both areas of outstanding natural beauty have requested to be upgraded to national park status. They will be the first new national parks since the South Downs in 2009. A government source is quoted as saying, Natural England has already started work to assess two new AONBs, yeah, AONBs and extension of the Chilterns and Cotswolds AONBs. Planning applications for properties inside national parks 
are assessed by national park authorities, not local councils. The move would see them placed under more stringent planning regulations to protect landscape. The National Parks Review by the government's nature agency, Natural England, is expected to be, to be released later this year. And the next headline is Bargain Store Back After a £750,000 Makeover. Whitney's Pound Stretcher has reopened after a £750,000 refurbishment. Some £100 of vouchers were to be given away to customers and £200 in total to Whitney Food Bank to celebrate the grand reopening of the Station Lane store last Saturday. Property and legal director Jerry Loughran said, We're pleased to be opening a brand new store to the people of Whitney with lots of fantastic branded products, all at bargain prices, and look forward to opening another 50 stores over the coming months, creating over 1,000 jobs. The team is working hard to deliver an outstanding shopping experience, great service and an enjoyable shopping environment for all our new customers. We're expecting massive queues for our opening day, so come early to catch the bargains. New staff, both part and full-time, are being recruited locally, while the store has been remodelled to allow customers to shop more comfortably. Water leak leads to road being closed. Drivers were left fuming after the A361 was close to traffic in Shipton under Witchwood for a week without warning. Milton under Witchwood resident Anne Patton said, This closure was obviously not an emergency situation since I had not yet seen anybody actually doing any work at the site in the five days since it was closed and nobody I spoke to had been contacted with any information whatsoever. She also complained of a lack of adequate diversion signage and dangerous positioning of some of the diversion signs that were put in place. Mrs Payton said, The first I knew of this closure was last August the 12th, when I was returning home following a visit to one of my daughters in Ensham. There were no warning signs at all, until after I had passed all usable junctions, but the sign I did then see stated, Road Ahead Closed, Access Only. It gave me the obviously wrong impression that as a resident of Milton under Witchwood, I was going to be able to get past this road closure to get home. Wrong. There were no useful diversion signs and inadequate space for myself and the other drivers, who would assume the same as me, to turn around and find another route home. This is not so much of a problem for me personally, having lived in West Oxfordshire most of my life, but for anyone unfamiliar with the area, this is obviously going to be causing confusion, she said. She added that one diversion sign takes up half the road, forcing drivers to pull out onto a busy A road without good visibility. I really hope someone will be able to tell me what on earth is going on here and how much longer we can expect the A361 to remain closed, she said. A spokesperson for Oxfordshire County Council said, The roadworks are due to emergency work by Thames Water to clamp a water main following an urgent leak. He said that work was starting on August 10th 
is expected to last until August the 20th to deal with additional repairs and after the diversion route was checked, Thames Water were asked to provide a suitable diversion for HGVs for the remainder of the work. Covid takes toll on our mental health. The number of monthly referrals to mental health services in Oxfordshire have surged during the pandemic. Latest figures show that in the county there was a 26% increase in referrals to mental health services between January 2020 and March 2021. There has also been an 89% increase in the average monthly referrals to urgent crisis care. Leslie Dewhurst, CEO of Oxfordshire-based mental health charity Restore, has witnessed the rise in people needing help. She said, There's no question that the last 18 months has had a significant impact on the whole population, so the fact that there's an increase in referrals is something that we can testify. It's true for Restore as well. We're part of a mental health partnership which delivers all the mental health services for adults across Oxfordshire and we would all say that we've seen an increase in referrals over that period. Of course, there was a bit of a lull at first because people were isolating at home and storing things up and I think that's always such a big problem when people store up things and then it comes out further down the line. In Oxfordshire, the average monthly urgent crisis care referrals made between April 2019 and April 2020 was eight, while between May 2020 and March 2021, it was 15. In England, these referrals are at their highest levels in two years. Restore continued providing support throughout the pandemic virtually. It checked in with people at least once a week and held virtual group activities such as cooking. Miss Dewhurst added, We carried on throughout that time, but it's been much more difficult for people. So I think now it's about trying to get to grips with the aftermath, really, trying to tackle the backlog, the waiting lists, and trying to reach out to people in different ways. She said anxiety is particularly having an effect on people's mental health at the moment, with fear, loneliness and isolation impacting people's moods. Warnings over fraudster spoofing scam. Ofcom has issued a phone scam warning to the public after an increase in reports of nuisance callers and criminals deliberately changing their caller ID a practice known as spoofing. Thieves who want to steal sensitive information, such as your bank account or login details, sometimes use a practice called spoofing to pretend they're calling from your bank or credit card company. It consists of cloning a number that you'd recognise as legitimate, and an Oxfordshire local has taken to social media to warn neighbours too saying that the caller ID showed the bank's phone number. He asked me if I lately received the usual scam text and email, and I confirmed I did, but never replied as I recognised them as fake. He then asked if I accessed my account from two locations, neither of which I had been to. 
He requested my username and I realised straight away my bank never asked that. I hung up and called my bank to check all fake and a scam. It was a cloned phone number. Ofcom has confirmed it is working with the international regulators and the telecoms industry to find solutions to the problem. If you've been targeted, call Action Fraud on 0300 And the next headline regards a housing development. Work starts on Science District. Developers have been given the green light to begin the construction of a multi-million pound housing development. Building works on the land owned by Oxford University's wealthiest college, St John's, began on Monday to start developing the £15 million Oxford North development. The college's development company, Thomas White Oxford, has said Oxford North will create 480 new homes, of which at least 35% will be affordable, and as many as 4,500 jobs for the city on fields centred around the A40, A34 and A44, north of the Wilvercote roundabout. The new site, which will also house offices for start-ups and government departments, for local authorities and health districts, in its new science district, plans to rival the likes of Silicon Valley-style tech parks in the US. The infrastructure work will begin after the Oxford City Council gave the go-ahead to kick-start the development last week. Thomas White Oxford has appointed house-building company The Hill Group to begin the first phase of the works. The council gave the group planning permission for the 64-acre site in March of this year. The first round of construction includes earthworks, creating sustainable drainage ponds, and building the initial infrastructure required for the link road between the A40 and A44. William Donger, director at Thomas White Oxford, said, With the world's eyes on Oxford, We are as ever committed to deliver our investment into this project, local area and city. These enabling works lay the ground so that future development parcels will be able to come forward without further significant earthworks being required. To have Hill Group contracted for both the Phase 1 infrastructure and new homes on Canal Side is positive delivery news for the project. We are delivering a world-leading sustainable place to provide much-needed new homes, to facilitate jobs and to enable life-enhancing discoveries which will deliver connectivity and growth while transforming lives and the city. Andy Hill, Chief Executive at Hill Group, said We're delighted to have been selected as the contractor to deliver the infrastructure for the new district. We'll be looking to expand the workforce to help deliver this project and we welcome applicants who will benefit from our comprehensive training and development programmes, particularly from the local area. Shocking extent of COVID assaults on police officers. Police officers were assaulted four times a day throughout the pandemic, new figures have revealed. During the COVID pandemic, attacks on police from the Thames Valley region hit a four-year high with many offences involving spitting and coughing at officers during a time of fear over the spread of COVID-19. 
Home Office data reveals that there were 1,313 attacks on police in the region between April 2020 and March 2021. That was a 21% increase on the 1,083 attacks reported the previous year and is the highest number since comparable figures began in 2017. This was higher than the national average, which saw a 14% increase throughout the pandemic. In September 2020, one man was given a 36-week sentence at Oxford Magistrates Court after he attacked, assaulted and restricted a police officer from carrying out his duties on Henley Avenue. Later that year, in November 2020, a woman from Blackbird Lees was given an eight-week jail sentence after she attacked an officer on Pegasus Road, Blackbird Lees. The day after her arrest, she assaulted a second officer at Abingdon Police Station. The creation of assault with injury on a constable as a new category of crime five years ago has meant more assaults on officers are now recorded. John Apter, National Chairman of the Police Federation for England and Wales, said the data showed the disgusting level of violence faced by officers working throughout the pandemic. He said more than 100 of my colleagues are assaulted every single day. That's a staggering number and something society must not accept. Many of these recorded attacks involve vile individuals who have spat on or coughed at police officers, weaponising the virus and threatening to spread it to them and their families. A spokesperson for Thames Valley Police said assaults on our officers and other emergency service workers are not acceptable under any circumstances. As a force, we will not tolerate any assault of our officers or assaults on other emergency service workers. We will fully investigate and we will work closely with the Crown Prosecution to bring the offenders to justice. And now news of another housing development. Bid for 40 homes on 11-acre site wins approval. Planning permission has been granted for 40 new homes in Stanton Harcourt. The 11-acre development in the heart of the village will feature over six acres of landscaped open space for residents in the community to use. Peter Blades, Managing Director of the developer, Dean Field Homes, said, We are delighted to have been granted planning permission to create this exciting new development. The development has been thoughtfully designed to ensure that it complements the existing character of the village. The extensive areas of open space will make this a unique and sought-after setting for anyone seeking all the benefits of a new home with the visual appeal of a traditional home in a very well-connected yet semi-rural location. The location and style is in keeping with our values of creating homes that integrate well into established communities and are sympathetic to their environment and local architectural styles. Work will start on the site later this summer. Plans for up to 40 houses at Butts Peace off Main Road are progressing despite concerns over sewage treatment being raised by the Parish Council. The proposed estate is to the north of another new development in the area, Hayfield Green. 
That site, which was once a Second World War airfield, is being turned into a development of 66 houses and bungalows. Join Bishop on Ride and Stride to help preserve churches. A bishop who recently cycled from Land's End to John O'Groats will be among those taking part in a charity event that raises funds to preserve Oxfordshire's historic churches. Gavin Collins, the new Bishop of Dorchester, completed the epic journey in just under a fortnight with his son last year, and he will be getting in the saddle again for a significantly shorter trip on Saturday, September the 11th, to take part in Ride and Stride 2021. An annual sponsored bike ride or walk between churches or other places of worship. Ride and Stride is a national event, but is organised locally by the Oxfordshire Historic Churches Trust, that's the OHCT. Launching the 2021 Oxfordshire event at St Michael's Church in Begbroke, Bishop Gavin called Ride and Stride a fantastic way of getting out as a family or with friends to see lovely countryside and beautiful buildings. He added, The idea of people getting out there to raise funds to support the preservation of our historic churches is obviously something that I am behind, particularly as cycling is something that I am very keen on. I think we sometimes forget that churches are important to both people of faith and people of no faith. In most instances, they are the most attractive buildings in their village or town, as well as being the place where some of the most important events in our lives, baptisms, weddings and funerals, take place. As well as this, they are increasingly becoming the places where communities in general come together. And this is something that Ride and Stride helps them to do by providing the funding for modern facilities. Ride and Stride raises more than a million pounds nationally every year, with Oxfordshire typically contributing around £100,000 of this. Participants do not have to attend a church or place of worship to take part. Hilary Cakebread Hall is Chair of Ride and Stride nationally and also the Oxfordshire organiser Mrs Cakebread Hall said raising money for churches is more important than ever at this time. Churches rely for their funding entirely on local donations. There is no central funding at all for the upkeep of the building and the suspension of services during the pandemic has meant that contributions have really dried up and there's a lovely photograph of him outside a church on his bike with a lovely grin on his face. Well, that completes this edition. Our thanks go to the Whitney Gazette and the Chipping Norton News for the articles we have used this week. And my special thanks go to our recording engineer, Graham Diacon. Thank you also to our readers this week, Byron Russell, Barbara Barringer and Jill Brakespeare. Keep listening after the music for the TNF listings of what is coming up on the national radio in the next week. But I know everyone at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well, and on their behalf, until our next edition, we will say... Goodbye!
ENF Soundings. Features from across the UK. And now for a look at this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, August 28th, and some uplifting music as Moira Stewart presents works by Johann Strauss Jr., Gershwin, Mozart, Sibelius, Vivaldi, Vaughan Williams and many others. Moira Stewart's Classic FM Hall of Fame concert from 4 till 7 on Classic FM. The Purple Pound is the subject of this week's bottom line. Is there a competitive business advantage in designing accessible goods and services for disabled people? A market valued at $249 billion a year. Tune in to Radio 4 at 5.30 to find out. The 1967 ITV programme The Prisoner was one of the most iconic television programmes ever made. At 6pm on Radio 4 Extra, you can listen to Nicholas Briggs' reimagining of the cult sci-fi drama. After quitting his post, secret agent ZM73 wakes up imprisoned in a bizarre village with a new identity. The current series of The Poet Laureate Has Gone to His Shed concludes at 7.15 on Radio 4 on Saturday with an interview in a barn. Not just any old barn, but one belonging to Prince Charles at his Welsh home in Landoffrey, where His Royal Highness recalls conversations with a former Poet Laureate, Ted Hughes. And finally for Saturday, August 28th, Daisy Johnson's ghostly hotel stories, read by Juliet Stevenson, continue. As the hotel is set to close its doors forever, the owner finds that it still has a few more secrets. It's Radio 4 at 9.45pm. Sunday, August 29th, the reunion this week brings together some of the leading lights behind the revival of women's football in the UK, after it was banned in 1921 for almost 50 years. The Pioneers of Women's Football, 11am Radio 4. The drama at 3 o'clock on Radio 4 is Dangerous Liaisons. Cecil de Volange and lonely wife Lady Torvel both become prey in a struggle for seduction between a moral ex-lovers Madame de Mertiol and Count Vermont, all based on Laclos' 1782 novel. There's a chance to hear a live prom from London's Royal Albert Hall as Georgia Mann introduces the Canamason siblings and friends in a concert with appeal for families. Saint-Saëns' The Carnival of Animals is on Radio 3 at 7pm. In The Untold, Grace Dent's untold dramas of the 21st century, a lute maker struggles to make lutes on her own after the death of her partner. Two Pairs of Hands is on at 9.30pm on Radio 4. And lastly for Sunday, August 29th, some slow radio. Nature Warden Dean Woodfin-Jones presents a nocturnal audio tour of Lundy, an island 12 miles off the coast of North Devon, now a haven for wildlife and home to just 20 people. Hear the raucous cackles of guillemots and cries of kittiwakes as the summer breeding season unfolds. A night on Lundy, 11.30pm on Radio 3. On to the programmes then that are broadcast each day at the same time all week on the same radio stations. A reminder that it is Paralympics time in Tokyo once again and you can get a daily update with Paralympic Breakfast on Radio 5 Live at 6am as the action unfolds in Japan. That's all week, Paralympic Breakfast, 6am 
Radio 5 Live. Book of the Week is Sunshine and Laughter, Louis Barth's biography of everyone's favourites, Morecambe and Wise, charting their rise from touring variety shows in the 1930s to the height of their TV popularity. It's read by Penelope Keith at 9.45 each day on Radio 4. Composer of the Week is Josquin Desprez, born in 1450. He's been described as the Michelangelo of music, a master of polyphonic choral writing. And the Franco-Flemish area in which he was a dominant force also produced some great painters. Donald MacLeod visits the National Gallery in London to build a picture of Yoskin's music and the places in which he lived and worked that also stimulated painters to produce great art. Tune in Radio 3 each day or week, 12 noon. James Robertson's novel of secrets, comedy and tragedy in a Highland Glen, News of the Dead, continues each day just after midday on Radio 4. It's 1809 and Gibbs' relations with Miss Jessie take an amorous turn. It's repeated each night, if you fancy that instead, as Book of Bedtime at 10.45pm. 1.45, Monday to Friday, Radio 4, comes 39 Ways to Save the Planet. Monday's programme is entitled Buy Less Stuff, a look at how demand for fast fashion led to the establishment of a clothes-sharing app to put unwanted clothes into new hands. Prime Minister's Props ponders the lives of famous politicians by focusing on one of the personal items they have. From Neville Chamberlain's umbrella, which came to define him as the defender of peace, and later an appeaser of Hitler, to Harold Wilson's pipe. 7.45, Radio 4, all week. And finally, an Agatha Christie 1933 Hercule Poirot whodunit involving upper-class marital problems entitled Lord Edgware Dies is broadcast each day, 8.30pm, on Radio 4 Extra. On to those individual programmes then, for individual days for the rest of the week. And of course, Monday is a bank holiday. Bank holiday Monday, August the 30th. The drama on Radio 4 at 2.15 is the United Kingdoms. It's a five-part series and each episode features short dramas, poetic monologues and a narrative songs from around the country from 50 writers and more than 100 performers. A couple listen out, a couple to listen out for today are Musselburgh on whether taking to one's bed in fear and despair can be a liberating experience and Tankerton, a poignant piece on what constitutes home if one feels like a total outsider. The last in the current series of The Very Funny Unbelievable Truth with David Mitchell is on at 6.30pm, Radio 4. Sally Phillips, Frankie Boyle, Lucy Porter and Neil Delamere try to smuggle the truth past their opponents. And the famed Battle of Thermopylae is two and a half thousand years old precisely. To celebrate this unique jubilee, comedian and classicist John Harvey separates myth from reality in the story of King Leonidas and the 300 Spartans who held out against the mighty Persian army, history's most famous heroic last stand. Happy 2500th to the brave 300 is at 8 o'clock on Radio 4. Tuesday, August 31st, last day of the month, last day of summer, some say, 2.15, drama on Radio 4, Brief Lives. Frank and Sarah come across a teenager who has been beaten up. This time street crime may point towards something much more sinister. 
Great Lives at 4.30 on Radio 4 looks at Josiah Wedgwood, the master potter, who built a business empire in Stoke-on-Trent that made him world famous. Radio 3, 5 o'clock, a live BBC Proms, a glime-borne opera production of Wagner's Tristan und Isolde from London's Royal Albert Hall. A story of longing and yearning of an unresolved and unresolvable love. London Philharmonic and an international cast mark 60 years of the company's appearances at the proms. There's a new series on Radio 4 at 6.30, The Birthday Cake Game. Comedy quiz in which Richard Osman, the host, yet him from Pointless, asks one simple question of his guests. Do they know how old people are? The prize is a birthday cake. Eight o'clock on Radio 4 comes after Merkel. Katia Adler asks what the impact of Angela Merkel's departure after 16 years of Chancellor will be on Germany and the EU. As it's Tuesday, 8.40pm, in touch with Peter White on Radio 4. And finally, Between the Ears, Tomorrow Never Knows at 10.15 on Radio 3. The Beatles album Revolver was released in August 66 and their music still casts a long shadow over the people of Liverpool. Hear from some of the people for whom the experiences of the 60s formed the basis of their lives, all played out to a Beatles soundtrack. Wednesday, September 1st, new month, and we start with More or Less, the programme that explains the numbers and statistics used in everyday life. Returning for a new series as well, on Radio 4 at 9am. 11am on Radio 4 Extra, the Master Tapes Guide to Writing the Perfect Song. John Wilson coaxes some great stories out of Paul McCartney, Ray Davis, Don McLean and others as they discuss how their works came about. The 2.15 drama on Radio 4 is Tinsel Girl and the Pain Clinic, an uplifting comedy drama by Lou Ramsden about a wheelchair user. Normally Sparky Maz hits rock bottom and reluctantly checks herself into a pain clinic and then embarks upon an adventure as she transforms a ward of unhappy patients into a place of mischief and friendship. Inspired by and starring Shirley Houston. The very funny My Teenage Diary with Rufus Hound tonight features comedy writer Deborah Francis White, who talks about growing up as a Jehovah's Witness and when she wasn't picked for the inter-school dance competition. 6.30pm, Radio 4. And Dublin-born Maureen O'Hara had a complex relationship with Hollywood. One of the biggest stars of the 40s and 50s, she came to resent being cast by her looks. In Queen of Technicolor at 10pm on Radio 3, Marie-Louise Muir explores how O'Hara fought against the men who controlled her life and spoke out against the casting couch culture. Thursday, September 2nd, in Citizens of Somewhere, John Harris visits Stoke-on-Trent, where almost 70% of the city's voters back to leave the EU, and its three parliamentary seats turn Conservative after decades of Labour rule. Tune in to Radio 4 at 9am. At 9.30, also on Radio 4, Questions Answered. Anita Anand meets Anthony, who called any answers twice, the second time after a dramatic change in his circumstances. The fourth test, England against India, starts at the Oval. You can hear live commentary on Radio 4 Longwave and Radio 5 Live Sports Extra from 10.25am. 2.15 on Radio 4 is Drama, Song and Dance by Barney Norris. Anne and Pete have gone bird-watching with their friend Martin when he dies suddenly of a heart attack and his death forces them to confront their own feelings. There's a new series of Ramblings at 3 o'clock on Radio 4 with Claire Balding. 
She hikes across the Pentland Hills near Edinburgh with Hazel and Luke Robertson, mountain leaders and polar explorers, as they hope to see a view across the three bridges that span the Firth of Forth. At 7.30pm, tonight's BBC Prom on Radio 3 features classic 20th century British film scores, ahead of the 100th anniversary of the birth of composer Malcolm Arnold, who died in 2006. Listen to suites of his most popular scores, including Bridge of the River Kwai and The Bells of St Trillians. So we come to Friday, September 3rd, another end to a week, 11.30am on Radio 4, the first part of a comic mystery series starring Bill Nighy, Simon Brett's Charles Paris, A Deadly Habit. When Charles is offered a job in a verbatim theatre piece set in a monastery, he isn't very enthusiastic, but at least it saves him from having to do any more DIY for Francis. Before too long, however, disaster strikes the production, and Charles is once again on the trail of a killer. More drama on Radio 4 at 2.15 with the second part of Jonathan Myerson's Nuremberg based on court transcription archive material from 1945. The news quiz returns for another series in the 6.30 comedy slot on Radio 4. And we round off the week of radio recommendations with the Classic FM concert with John Suchet. Highlights from the Edinburgh International Festival which welcomes audiences back following last year's online-only festival. Beethoven's Symphony No. 1 in C, Saint-Saëns' Cello Concerto No. 1 in C minor, and Haydn's String Quartet in B minor is all from 8 o'clock on Classic FM. As ever, may I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNF Soundings 